Zara. Before that, the chapter deals with Aida uh, Hanidahat. I wanted to show a very interesting Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin, Dafain Amud Bet, which is going to be interesting for purposes of this chapter. One second. Okay. Okay, something is happening here with my application. There we go. Okay, in Daf Ein Amud Bet of Masachet Sanhedrin, the Gemara makes a very interesting historical claim. It's a very famous Gemara dealing with Ben Sorer Moren, whether it ever was applied or existed or not. Uh, and the same statement is made about Ayrhan Nidahat. And it says here, Detanya, Ayrhan Nidahat, lo hayeta velo atida lihiot. Ulman ichteva, derosh vekabel sachar. The Gemara makes a claim which doesn't have halachic relevance, but it's just to inform us of something, that Eid Hanidahat, as halacha was at that time, this statement was made in the Gemara, was not something made to be applied, but rather it's something from which we can learn something. In other words, as we are going to see in this chapter, the halachot of Eid Hanidahat make, make its applicability, make the fact that it ever comes to be extremely, extremely rare, if not impractical, almost impossible. So with that, we'll start the fourth chapter, Ayrhani Dahat. I'm going to translate Ayrhani Dahat, not like a city that was, like I saw in other translations, seduced. It has nothing to be with seduced. Rather, it has to be with the same kind of thing that led to the 1861 war in the United States, the American Civil War when seven states in the South decided to secede from the Union. So Aydhani Dahat is a seceding city. City meant back then a city-state. And how do you secede from the Jewish Union? Well, what makes the Jewish Union? The Jewish Union, what unifies the Shevatim one to the other, the cities within a Shevet one to the other, is obviously the Torah. The Torah is the one thing that unifies us, just like in the American Civil War, it was a constitution. And in fact, the seven southern states rebelled against the constitution, which is why Lincoln went to war against them. In Aydhani Dahat, what they are doing is they are seceding by agreeing as a city to worship someone other than God, than Hashem. That is the way you secede from the Jewish people. And this is the procedure by which this is determined in this chapter, and the consequence is obviously that the rest of the Jewish people goes and wages war against the city just like the North did against the South in the United States. Okay. Okay, 
ואנשעיל המודחים נהרגים בסייף, והוא שעבדו עבודה זרה, או שקיבלו עליהם באלוה. ואזהרה למדיח מנין, תלמוד לומר, לא יישמע על פיך. So we are saying a few things here. Number one, the מדיחים, the instigators of this rebellion, of this secession from the union, from the Jewish union, they deserve sekila. They, they get the same capital punishment as someone who actually worships Avodah Zarah, although, even though they may not have worshipped it themselves, but rather they encouraged, they instigated their city to do so. The city itself does not get the punishment that goes to Avodah Zarah because this is much more a political sin than a theological sin, but rather as part of a city that secedes from the Union, the Union wages war against them and kill everyone by sword. Not everyone, we are going to see exactly who gets killed through the chapter. And only if they actually worshipped Avodah Zarah or accepted the authority of that other deity, that other uh, creature, anything that's not God. And where do we know in the Torah that we have to we cannot have a Mediyah, that one cannot instigate a city to do Avodah Zarah, because the Torah only specifies the punishment. Seemingly, it doesn't say anywhere, you may not instigate a city to do Avodah Zarah, but Chachamim learned it from the Pasuk, Lo yishama You may not mention, you may not even have on your mouth the names of other gods, which one meaning could be, you may not, with your mouth, invoke other gods to instigate people from another city to follow it. First condition, a city can only be made, it can only be declared as a seeding city if the Maddihim, if the people who are instigating it are plural, are two or more than two. If there is only one person, which by the way is a likelier scenario that one person is the one that instigates everything. Uh, it comes out from these special rules of Irani Dahat, and we deal with it like we deal with anyone who worships Avodah Zarah. Because the Pasuk says, when the Pasuk describes what's done to the Irani Dahat, it uses the plural, some people came, let's translate freely, good for nothing people, they came and they, and they tell you that you should worship other gods, blah, blah, blah. Furthermore, these people need to belong to that same tribe and to that same city. It cannot be that two people come from a different city and instigate a city that's not enough to make it Irani Dahat. The continuation of the Pasuk we started saying, these people who come to instigate are coming from within you, and then they go and they sway the rest of the people of their city. So it's from within you, namely from that same tribe, and it's the people from their city, meaning that they also have to have belonged to that same city. And a city may only be made if the majority of that city is actually swayed. And there is also a minimum. This, of course, it has to be a majority, as we said, but also it needs to be at least 100 people. 
100 people. In other words, if a city has 190 people, it can never be made Irani Dachat because it will either not have a majority. I'm sorry. If it has only if it has only 99, it can never be made Irani Dachat because uh, in order to be made Irani Dachat, it has to be a hundred. So even if you have a majority, a majority of 99 can never be 100. Also, if the city is so large that it encompasses the majority of the tribe, and then the Haddaha, this swaying happens with the majority of a tribe, then it's no longer a seceding city, it's a seceding tribe, and it's not within this chapter. And, but if it was the majority of a tribe that was swayed, that decided to secede, then we deal with them outside the context of Irani Dahad, just like we would deal with an individual who decided to go to Avodah Zarah. Because it's said on Shayid, it's, 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 it, the Pasuk says, people of a city, city, not tribe. Neither a small village that has less than 100 people, nor a city that is so large, a metropolis, that encompasses the majority of the tribe. Anything less than 100 people is considered a village. And if it was a majority of a tribe, it's like a large metropolis. So if the swaying was made, was instigated by women or children, minors, or an individual, one person. Imagine, for example, an Avi Sheker, that's an individual. Or only a minority of the city was swayed. Or they themselves got the idea on their own. Just imagine, even by what we know so far, imagine what a nightmare it would be for a prosecutor to find witnesses that can testify specifically that it was more than one person that it wasn't they themselves that came up with it, and so on and so forth. So the statement of the Gemara, I think we have to have it in mind throughout this chapter, it's really almost impossible for this ever to happen. Or the instigators came from outside the city. So if none of these conditions, if any of these conditions is not met, um, then it's not in Dahat, and the consequence is rather a plain vanilla Avodah Zarah, where the person who worships it after Hatra'ah and with Adim gets the capital punishment after having a warning and with witnesses. But that person's uh, assets are not affected, and he has... He passes them down to his heirs. So it's only it's uh, it cannot be adjudicated by the Supreme Court of Israel, the Beddin of 71 people, not for the reasons that you would think, 
The Bedin of 71, which is a Bedin that was in the Beit HaMikdash, in Lishkat HaGazit, was tasked with most of the national, of the issues of national significance, like for example, declaring war, declaring a new king, etc. But in here, the reason that we need the Bedin of 71 and not any other more regional Bedin, like a circuit court of 23, is because we are expecting that there is going to be multiple ac accusations liable of a capital punishment. And although the Bedin of 23 is has the authority to render a capital punishment, they can do so only on an individual basis. If you have more than one person, if you have Rabbim, many people who together become liable for capital punishment, it needs to go to the 71. <clears throat> This is something that Harambam is actually against some other Rishonim on. He understands the Gemara a certain way, or he has a different version of the Gemara. The Aremiklat, the cities that were declared cities of refuge, cities that were uh, were dedicated for the Kohanim and and uh, and the Leviim to live there, but they also served as refuge for anyone who committed negligent murder, negligent homicide, sorry, and, and was trying to, to run away from the family of the victim who would try to, av to avenge the victim's death. They could run away to this Irmiklat. Irmiklat has a certain status for many things. So one of the status it has is an Irmiklat itself can never become Irhanidahat because it says, Be'ahat arecha. The Torah says in one of your cities. And Animiklat is not one of our cities. It's one of the cities that belongs to Am Israel generally. It doesn't have, um, it's not within the jurisdiction of anyone. Also, Yerushalayim cannot be made because something very interesting, although Yerushalayim was uh, mostly in the territory of Yehuda of Yehuda and a bit in the territory of Binyamin, it was never actually of any tribe. Yerushalayim was a capital city, it was a district in and of itself, and therefore Yerushalayim can never become Iranidahat. Iranidahat You also should not make Iranidahat, or a city that on the Sefar can never be made Iranidahat. Sefar is the outskirts, the boundaries of Eretz Israel. And that is because, and that is because, uh, border cities are very important for the re the security of the rest of the nation. Because imagine if you destroy Ilanidahat, then you have a swath of empty land through which the enemy can invade and conquer other parts of Israel. Then, but then I had also shalosh ayerot and nidahot zubet sadzu, avale imayumeru hakot ose also. A Beddin, a single Beddin, cannot uh, declare Arim Nidahot one next to the other. Seemingly for the same reason, you don't want to have such a large swath of land that is declared Iranidahat. We're going to see one of the consequences of Iranidahat is that that place can never be inhabited thereafter. So we don't want to have such a large space without inhabitants. Um, there is a reason why the leftist governments of Israel always wanted to build inside Gaza. They were the ones who established Kushkatif and the other communities, 
not because of their love to Israel so much, but rather because they understood that having Jewish settlement is the best, is the most efficient defense mechanism that you have against hostile actions by an enemy. So border towns are extremely, extremely important. And having also towns that go next to the other, that's uh, as good or even better than having a Great Wall of China through that area. Hey. אין עושין אילן נידחת עד שידיחו המדיחיה בלשון רבים ויאמרו להם נלך ונעבוד או נלך ונזבח. Another condition that makes it so hard for אילן נידחת to ever exist, the actual instigation for secession needs to be made in plural. The language needs to be used in plural. If a person wants to make אילן נידחת and goes and talks to each person individually and convinces them and, until he gets a majority and fulfills all the other conditions that we spoke about so far, that's not enough because he didn't use the plural. This instigation needs to be made as a plural, as a public plea to the people of the city. Let us go and worship. Let us go and slaughter. These are the four uh, universal forms of worship we spoke about in the last shiur. That's the fifth uh, universal form of worship, which is accepting as a god. So if the person says, let us go and let us accept, uh, let's say, for example, Zeus, the Greek god, as a god for this city, then this is the kind of language that could permit a determination of Irani Dahat. And then also, the way the city needs to respond to this plea, to this instigation, is they actually have to go and worship it in one of the three ways we discussed in the last chapter that constitute Avodazara. So this is good review. The three ways are number one, Ketarka. Number one is the way that Avodazara, according to their conventional practice, is meant to be worshipped. So for example, Markulis was meant to be worshipped by throwing stones at that representation. And Peor was being meant to be worshipped by exposing oneself to it. Second way by which one may be liable for Avodah Zarah is one of the four universal worships that, that are reserved for Hashem, which are Hekter, Hishtahavaya, uh, Zebiha, and Nisuch. Or another third way by which one can do Avodah Zarah is by accepting, doing something to connote that they are accepting the authority of that Avodah Zarah over them, thereby accepting them as what we say in Hebrew, Eloah. Eloah means an authoritative, an ultimate authority that can tell you what to do. So let's say a city is almost Iranitahat, it fits all the conditions but one. So how do we treat them? So one of the consequences of something not being Iranitahat is that now, if I'm a prosecutor for the Bedin and I want to um, find someone guilty of Avodah Zarah, I need to give them what's the halachic due process. I need to permit them to give them this, uh, let's call them rights, just for comparison purposes, uh, due, due, due process rights before they can be punished. So one right is hatra'a. They need to be warned. They need to be warned before they do the action. 
by the way, you do not have that in, in American law or any other or any other system I'm familiar with. You also have to have two witnesses. Um, I'm just going to open a parenthesis just in case someone listens only to this class and not to further classes, but I, I intend to share this later in another opportunity. There is something very interesting about having two witnesses, and that is it's not only an evidentiary tool. Two witnesses is not the only way by which we can know the truth that something happens. In fact, two witnesses we know are fallible. They can be wrong. It's not just to find out what happened. I think that one of the purposes of having two witnesses is to bring the action that's being made from the private realm to the public realm. If you're doing something in the privacy of your home, whatever it might be, even Abu Zara, it's almost impossible that there be two witnesses that can testify against you. Why? Because people who are in your home normally are also not kosher witnesses. They cannot serve as witnesses. You'd need to be outside in public. You need to have permitted at least two people, which is the, the, the smallest definition of a public, to witness what you are doing for there to be two witnesses, which I think is the Jewish version of privacy. The Jewish version of privacy is something need to be witnessed, witnessed by two male adults that are not related to you in order for your action to become the business of the nation and of the court. So you would need to have hatra'a, you would need to have two witnesses on each and every person in that city. So it, it's a very different game that we're playing if it's Irani Dahat or it's not. And then the punishment is different also. We said Herev, Saif, is a punishment for Irani Dahat, but for individuals, in other words, anyone that does not qualify for Irani Dahat is Sekila. And as we said before, their heirs can inherit their assets. So what do we do with an Irani Dahat actually? Once a city is capable of becoming Irani Dahat, it has all the conditions we mentioned. There is no hatra'a if it's Irani Dahat. Rather, the Supreme Court sends and investigates and, and really scrutinizes until they know with very clear evidence that the majority or the entirety of the city indeed seceded from Am Israel and they went and uh, are loyal to Avodah Zarah now. Vav, and then they send, they don't send hatra'a to every person, but they send two sages, why? Because they, in, in case they have any theological or philosophical questions, these people will be able to answer them. To communally give them this warning, <coughs> sorry, and to try to bring them back to the Union, to Am Israel, and if they do Teshuvah and they come back, that's the end of it. Fine, great. But if they continue in their corruption, then the Supreme Court declares war against them and they call upon the army of all of the Jewish nation to come and wage war, war against them. 
and they, they surround them, they wage battle against them until they conquer the city. As soon as the city is breached and the, the Jewish army enters the seceding city, immediately they established a multitude of Batedin, because we want this process to be as efficient as possible, and we start processing them. In other words, it's not that the army just goes in and kills everyone. No, the army goes in, they breach the city, and then they 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 submit this matter to the court. I'm going to indulge myself with another parenthesis, a very important distinction that today is being blurred more and more, especially by a culture of political correctness. There is a crucial distinction between crimes that are committed within a system and crimes that are committed from an external threat against the system. So I'll give you two examples. A crime within the system, as heinous, heinous as, it, as it might be, would be, for example, for a white person to go to a church attended by black people out of hatred for the black race and open fire against them and kill each and every one of them. Hate crime should be dealt with by the law of the United States as severely as possible but it is a crime, it's an internal matter. It's someone from within the system doing something within the system. The system is equipped to deal with it. It goes through the criminal justice system. Compare that with a, let's make the, the example a little easier, a foreign national who comes to the United States and commits a terrorist attack against random people, not because he has anything against any of those individuals, but rather because he has something against the United States. He's trying to attack the system as a whole, and he's only attacking these individuals in order to represent the system. That's what he wants to attack. In that case, this is not an internal matter. The system is not equipped to deal with external threats that are attempting to undermine it, to destroy it, to, 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 to make it collapse. Therefore, and this is something that the United States does recognize, you deal with the latter through the military uh, system, not the criminal justice system. You call that person an enemy combatant, and the rules are very, very different. They are not privy to the protections of the Constitution, etc., etc. You have the same thing in Halakha, and that's something that we have to understand. And here in Aidhani Dahat, even though they seceded, they were not successful in their secession. I said secession for Eidani Dahat, it's really attempted secession. Okay, it's attempted secession. And therefore, as opposed to what we would do with an enemy, which is when you go and you go to a war and you're about to fire your rifle at an enemy, you don't go to a court to a judge and, and bring witnesses that say, hey, this enemy was trying to fire at me first, and that's why I killed him. You just go ahead and do what is done in war. It's a very different game very different rules but in irhani dahat the threshold hasn't been crossed yet and this irhani dahat the people in irhani dahat still are within the system and therefore the system is used to deal with them and this is a criminal matter the courts have to actually determine that they are liable for the capital punishment it's not automatic
So, אם נמצאו כל העובדים מאותה סוקלין, אותנו שאר העיר ניצל. So they now want to find out if one of the conditions, which is the majority of the city condition, if that was fulfilled, if the bed dean investigates and they see that, that a minority only was swayed to do Avodah Zarah, they treat them as individuals, and the rest of the city is saved. נמצאו רובה, if it's the majority, however, מערין אותן לבית דין הגדול וגומרים שם דינם, then you bring that majority to Yerushalayim, to the Supreme Court, and there is that you determine their fate, because again, it needs to be the Supreme Court in Yerushalayim that determines the fate of multiple people when capital punishment is at stake. And you kill all of those that worshipped with, as we said, with a sword, not with sekila. Now this is the, the, the more, the more, a severe part of what we said so far because so far it's better than it's a better deal than doing Avodah Zarah yourself because you get Saif as opposed to Sekila it's less severe punishment but and if the, if the entirety of the city had seceded then you kill everyone that was within it even women and children and if it was only the majority then you only kill the women and children of those who worshipped Avodah Zarah. It was assumed back in, in that time that the women and the children are an extension of the decisions made by the people that were actually found to have agreed to do Avodah Zarah. Vav. Uven whether it was the majority of or all of it, so Klint Medicheha, the Madihin, the ones that are the instigators, they get sekila, then another thing that you do, so women and children is only of those who worshipped, but the possessions, you take the possessions of the entire city, those who worshipped and those who didn't worship. You bring everything to the main street, Rehovah. If it doesn't have a main street, you actually create a main street for this. Or if it has a street outside the city, you expand the walls so the street becomes part of the city. Because the Torah says you have to do all of this into the street. And then you kill all the, the, the people that are in that in that Rehov, that you know, the ones that were found guilty. You bring them to Rehov, then you kill all the living creatures, which means people and animals, if they had any cattle or something of the sort. And then you burn down all of their assets together with the city. Medina means city. And the actual burning is one of the 613 prescriptions. Because it says, the Torah says, you shall burn with fire the city and all of its assets. I'm going to start going a little faster because we are already uh, late and we have a lot of ground to cover. To cover. Uh, the people, even those who were not found guilty, you still burn their assets because they were guilty uh, in, in one respect, which is they lived in that city 
the, uh, the majority of which seceded. Whoever, instead of burning, takes and steals for themselves, for their own use, any of the assets of that city, gets Malkut, it's one of the 613 commandments. It says, This applies to all of Avodah Zarah. You may not derive benefit from anything, anything that has to do with Avodah Zarah. And obviously, the assets of a city that decided communally to do Avodah Zarah is within this prescription. What happens if the city, uh, as soon as the, the, so they put all the assets and all the people, they find them guilty, they put them in the street of the city, and before they do anything to them, the witnesses that had come and on which this, this um, sentence was rendered, they are found to be zomamin, they are found to have been fake witnesses, thereby rendering the sentence undone. So this is no longer iranidahat. Of course, they are not going to be killed. Of course, the assets are not going to be burned. But the moment that you put all of those things in that street, those assets become ownerless. And therefore, after that second that the sentence goes away, those assets belong to no one, and anyone who takes them, whether they are from the city or from outside, can own them. They are abandoned assets, because as soon as, and you know, from the point of view of the people who used to own those assets, as soon as they hear that they are that they are going to be killed, the first thing they do in their mind is they understand and they acknowledge that any assets they owned are no longer theirs. I believe this is the opinion of. Uh, against but I might be mistaken. You may no longer build this city forever. Whoever built the city um, gets Malkut, but you may make out of it, you may make out of it some uh, improved land, in other words, like a garden or like a park or, or something where you plant fruit trees, so long as it's not somewhere where people live. The, 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 the Torah says, it may no longer be built, and it means as a city. A caravan that was going from place to place, tapping from city to city, if they stayed within this city, uh, and, and was swayed with it, and they had remained there for 30 days or more, they are already part of that city and they also get the saif. And otherwise, they are treated like individuals that did Abu Lazara, that they get sekila, but their heirs get their assets. If that city had within it, they had been entrusted by people from other cities to safeguard some of the assets. Let, let's say that within the city you had a huge uh, depot, depot for something, uh, people stored there their cars or what, whatever, then uh, that those assets are not assets of the city and they do not get burnt with the assets of the city because it says shelala, its assets, not assets from somebody else. 
אין מאבדין אותן, אלא יינתנו ליושיהן. Let's say that the, the people of this city, of the seceding city, had assets in a depot within another city. What happens to those assets? So if they end up, as a matter of fact, being brought to that street, then they get the same destiny as everything else, they all get burnt. If somehow, for whatever reason, they end up not being brought inside the street where you gather everything that's going to be burnt, they actually get saved from this, from this uh, fate, and the heirs of the people from Irani Dachat can get them. בהמה החסיה של העיר הנידחת וחסיה של העיר האחרת שהייתה בתוכה הרי זו אסורה ועיסה שהיא כן מותרת לפי שאפשר לחלוק עיסה. An animal that had 50% ownership by someone from עיר הנידחת and 50% ownership of someone outside, 50% of an animal is nothing because 50% of an animal is a dead animal and therefore the בהמה dies. But anything else, for example, עיסה You had, let's say, there was a bakery and they, they, they had 50% ownership outside and 50% inside and they had made this entire batch of dough for that week or for that day, then half of that can be salvaged because half a dough is half a dough. If, the, if a, an animal of Ilan Iddachat was killed in a way that renders it kosher, It still is forbidden to derive benefit from, just like a shorhaniskal, when an ox kills a human being for a third time and we have to kill it, we are not allowed to enjoy to derive benefit from the meat of this ox. It's the same uh, din, the same rule here. The, the human hair, Men's and women's, which, by the way, for throughout history was something extremely valuable, um, especially for old people. They didn't have very advanced ways of tainting hair. Sometimes they'd use uh, younger people wigs uh, in order to look more youthful. Um, so the the hair is not part of what's uh, of what, what's forbidden and it's permissible to derive benefit from it but if it was already made into a wig then now it becomes assets it's not hair then it's considered part of the rest of the assets and has the same rule fruits that are within it the fruits of the dekalin sheba of the it's an example of 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 a a fruit tree it's the palm tree that has dates um, then those are not within it because they they are not yet assets they are not they don't belong to the people of the city until they actually possess them by taking them from the tree and bringing them down etc and therefore they are not within what the Torah says that you have to take their belongings the things that belong to them this is not something that belongs to them and obviously the trees themselves don't belong to them and Harabam is saying the same reasoning is why the hair is permissible Let's say there were things inside that city that had been dedicated to the Beit HaMikdash 
then if it's Kotshem Mizbeach, if it's something that was dedicated, that was meant to come onto the Mizbeach, then right away you kill it. The Mizbeach does not want, you're doing no favors to the Bet HaMikdash by bringing onto it animals that were dedicated by Reshaim. The Zevach Reshaim to Aiva, Mishle says that a, a, an offering that comes from Reshaim, it's something disgusting, something we have to we have to treat as disgusting. Kotshe Bedek Habayit Ipadu, if it's something that was dedicated for the maintenance fund of the Bet HaMikdash, let's say some coins, then we don't want those things themselves, but we do want their value. So you do something called Pidion, which means you give the, the, the corresponding value to Bet HaMikdash. Ve'ahar kach sorfinotan. Why is that? So again, it's not that the Hekdesh, we burn it because it was within the city. From the Pasuk, the Hekdesh, things that belong to the Bet HaMikdash, should not be within the rule of Irani Dahat because it's not the belongings of Irani Dahat. So the, the Zevahim, things that go to the Mizbeach, we just destroy them because it's too disgusting to bring something like that to the Mizbeach. But something that has monetary value and it's meant for maintenance, uh, value is fungible, and therefore you can redeem it and give the value to Bet HaMikdash and burn the object itself. Bechor and Maaser are interesting cases. The Bechor and the Maaser are, they belong to the Kohanim, but um, they, they, they really are some sort of a, of, a, of a tax that is, let's call it for a better, just for efficiency, a, a spiritual tax, so to speak. However, if they have a mum, if they have any imperfection, then they are eaten by, by uh, the, the, the owners, and, and, therefore, and therefore they are like uh, belongings. So if they are whole and they are worthy of being given to the Kohanim as some sort of an offering, then we also don't want that from Irani Dahat, and we kill it. But if they are Baal Mumin, then they are belongings and we treat them like any other animal in the city. By the way, all of these Salachot are interesting if you ever need to show who owns something, like a Bechor, is that something that is a human possession? Who really owns the Bechor? So this halacha is somewhere you would look at to try to create a creative argument. The Terumot, let's say someone gave Teruma from within the city, and they didn't give it to the Kohen yet. If they already gave it to the Kohen, then there still is some attachment Sorry, so, so the Kohen is, lives within that city. So if the Kohen is part of that city and the Teruma already arrived to the Kohen, then that Teruma belonged to someone from the city. It belonged to the Kohen and therefore we have to let it rot. We don't, we don't destroy it in a certain way because it's Teruma and it has a certain Kedusha to it, but we do let it rot. But if they were of someone from Israel in the city and they haven't yet been given to a Kohen, then we take this Teruma and give it to a Kohen from a different city. 
because the moment you separate the Ruma, you no longer own it. You still own the right to decide which Kohen will get it, but that's about it. It's not yours anymore, and therefore it doesn't receive the fate of Irani Dahat. Ma'asar Shani, Vechesef Ma'asar Shani, Vechitve HaKodesh, Shebetochaha, Hare Elu, Iganezu. Ma'asar Shani is a tax that you pay um, four out of six years, which is uh, something that you set apart and then you eat only within Yerushalayim. Or Chesef Ma'asar Shani, let's say you decided that uh, you can't take your tomatoes next year to Yerushalayim, they are no longer going to be good, so you decide to redeem them for the equivalent in money, plus a, a, a fee on that that you pay, and, and then you take that money and buy something in Yerushalayim with it. Or holy writings that are within it, Tanakh, say or something like that, then they receive Geniza, they are not destroyed, because they do have a certain Kedusha to them, but they also are not used. And what you do is you do geniza, which means you put them away so nobody use, uses them and you let the elements take care of them through time. Tedzain, kula osedin ba'ira nidahat harezeke makriv ola kalil, shenemar kalil ladonai elohecha. Velo od ela shemesalek haron af misrael, shenemar leman yashuv adonai maharon apo. Umevi alehen beracha verahamim shenemar venatan lecharahamim verihamecha vehirbecha. Whoever does uh, what Eidan Dahat says, uh, they should not feel that like they are doing something cruel. Again, parenthesis, this probably can never happen. That's what the Gemara says. But whoever does do it, it's as if they are bringing a korban. It's something desirable for Hashem. And not only that, but he's also helping Am Israel by uh, preventing God to, to punish Am Israel collectively. And furthermore, he brings upon Am Israel This is interesting. Uh, you are acting in a way that is seemingly cruel, but the result is that you are blessed with, with uh, compassion. Boreolam is going to make you be compassionate. And that's a very important principle in Hebrew thought. Um, indiscriminate compassion leads to cruelty. Indiscriminate compassion, if you are compassionate with everyone, if you have pity on the Nazis or on Amalek, you're going to end up like Shaul HaMelech murdering an entire city of, of uh, pious Kohanim. However, if you are very discriminate, if you, in a targeted way, apply both compassion and cruelty, like here, overall you become a more compassionate person. So we'll stop here, and in a few minutes we'll resume with the next chapter.